Okay, so we are in a new series. We're in summer at One Chapel, and the weather doesn't it feel like summer today. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Grab your umbrella for summer at One Chapel. Um, we are going to spend the summer going through uh, three letters in the New Testament, starting with uh, 1 John today. And then uh, after we've gone through 1 John, we're going to get into 1 Peter and then get into James. Now, these are letters written by guys who walked with Jesus, guys who witnessed his ministry, guys who were in fellowship with him, who got to live it out with the person and the deity of Jesus, right? And so their letters are instructive for the first century church of the day, but they're also instructive for us. And so the things that they were in need of then to be reminded about, about how you follow Jesus, we're in need of those too. And we're going to go through those letters and just see what, what John and what Peter and what James have to say to us. We're going to start with John uh, today. Uh, but before that, I want to talk about how terrible it is for me to walk around my house at night. Um, because, have you ever done that? Like you understand where everything is. You, you put the furniture where it goes in your house. Or you ask Jennifer, where does the furniture go? And then you help move it there. And man, the windows are open, sun shining, lights on. You're like, I got this. I know exactly where everything is. But as soon as like you're in bed and you realize, oh, I forgot to do this. You don't grab the flashlight. You go walking out. I can't leave the bed without like walking like this. Like very slow, hands out, like, I, I, like, I'm, like I'm expecting a ninja attack at any moment, you know, like I'm feeling this, the, the place around me. And no matter how much I do this, I still manage to like run into something that just splits the difference between my arms and hits me right there. My pinky toe hits everything, my nose hits things, and, and then I'll finally grasp around. You know where the light switches are on the wall like, it, it should be ingrained in memory, but as soon as the lights go off, it's like, and you're grasping around, hoping to find something, and then you flip the light on, and you realize, oh, right, that's where that was. And everything becomes clear again. But John was writing this book um, because Christianity was still young. The light had come, but there was enough time had gone between Jesus' earthly ministry and the time of writing the letter that people had a few years there to get off, right? So Jesus, Jesus dies in, in uh, 30, 33, 32, 33 AD. He's writing this in about 80 to 110 AD. So there's been a generation or two in between, which as you know, People get to talking, word of mouth happens, and people get their own ideas about what, what it was Jesus really said. And then we start kind of filling in the gaps when we don't understand what really happened or when, when we're not speaking exactly what was spoken to us, right? It's like a big game of telephone that's been happening uh, in the body of Christ. And so there's been some false teaching coming up. So even in a thing that should be very familiar, they should know where the light switches are, they should know where all the furniture is placed, the lights have kind of started dimming, and people are starting to walk into stuff. People are starting to walk the wrong way, bump into things, and creating some problems, spiritually speaking. So that's why John wrote this letter. It's written, actually, primarily in response to some false teachers uh, who were teaching that all spiritual elements are good, and all fleshly or physical elements are bad. So 
Jesus must not actually have been a man because if he had been a man, then he would have been physical and he would have been evil, which is kind of not what he said, right? He's, so, so a game of telephone, we kind of got it twisted around a little bit, but people are going and teaching, and I think probably with really good intentions, they're teaching, well, Jesus wasn't fully man. He was something else. And this is a, this is a brand of Gnosticism called docetism, where they're, they're teaching Jesus wasn't real because if he was really God, he wouldn't have been in a physical body. And so John has to call this out and has to let them know, wait, this is actually false teaching. If you follow false teaching long enough, you get to false conclusions. And, and that's what he's trying to do here. So it's a really personal letter, and it's written by someone who had walked with Jesus to really explain some of the basics to some people who had not gotten that opportunity to walk with him. And that's us. So he's explaining that to us as well. And so 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. This is in the NIV. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it. We testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, and we declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie, and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So as we're reading through chapter one, and, and if you've been walking with the Lord any amount of time, you might be saying to yourself, duh, yeah, no, I get it. These are, these are the basics. But never underestimate the power of the basics. Christ is our firm foundation. How many times have we gone astray? I've done it. You've done it because we add our own idea to what God said. God said this. And so I think, oh, well, God said that. So probably this is true. So I'm going to do that. And that turns out to be way false because God didn't say that. Right? So these, these first century Christians have gotten led a bit astray by people who were adding their own philosophies, their own ideas, adding on top of the basics that, that Jesus taught. And so I've, I think it makes sense to break up this chapter into two key parts, right? Verses one through four are about the foundations of fellowship. Fellowship is a very specific term for a relationship that centers around Jesus. Um, and, and overall, over this entire book, actually, but especially over this first chapter, John's trying to remind us that Jesus is at the center of all relationships. Jesus is at the center of all relationships for us as believers. He's at the center of our relationship with the Father, and because of that, 
we access God through the Father, so he's at the center of our relationship with every other believer. Jesus is the only way to have real and lasting relationships with one another. He starts out by saying, that which was from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. He was there before any of this started. Colossians uh, 1, 19 through 20 says, because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or things in the heaven, in the heavens. As both God and man is what J- John is trying to teach us here, Jesus is the only one that could bring together heaven and earth. And anyone who tries to tell you differently is selling something, right? If you're a Prince's Bride fan, you totally got that. Um, so uh, that which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus, who is once again fully God and fully man, which is what these first century Christians were trying to be convinced was false. In verse three, he says, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. John isn't speaking from his own opinion or from a philosophy that he made up or that he heard from someone else. He wants them to know and he wants us to know, I'm telling you what's true because I heard Jesus say it himself. I heard Jesus, I saw him minister, and I'm telling you something that, that I heard and saw directly from him, which echoes like Deuteronomy 4 too. Don't add anything to the word that I'm commanding you, and don't take anything away from it. He's wanting to reinforce for us, there is, as we say in the creed, there is one Lord, there's one baptism, and, and we don't unify by agreeing on all the philosophies that we attach to, to our Christianity. We unify by agreeing on who Jesus is, right? Remember when Jesus was talking to Peter and Peter, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter said, well, you're, you're, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. He said, absolutely, Peter. Heaven, people didn't reveal this to you, but heaven, heaven revealed this to you. My father who is in heaven revealed it to you. The Holy Spirit revealed it to you. And on that revelation, on that rock of who I am, that's what I'll build my church on. And that's what, that's what John is echoing here. We don't unify by agreeing on all these different philosophies that sound cool and somebody just taught us. We unify on these declarations that are rock-solid, foundational principles of our faith. If we agree upon those things with the believers, then there's a whole lot of room for grace on some other ideas that we can talk about, but that don't define us, right? What defines us is who he is and what he said. And when we unify on those principles, it brings us into what John is calling fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is this deep connection. Well, to, to really get, uh, to really get a, a physical idea of what fellowship looks like, we go to Acts 2, 42 through 44. This is after the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room and all sorts of really cool spiritual things started, started happening. They started not being able to misunderstand one another because the Holy Spirit was guiding all their conversation. And then the Holy Spirit uh, inspired them and empowered them to be drawn together and to just begin to live like Jesus was asking them to. And it looks like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Everything in common, meaning that they were 
no longer living separate lives where they were withholding things and keeping things just for themselves and said, no, that's yours, this is mine. But the spirit of God, the selflessness of Jesus was flowing through them to where they, th- they thought, well, yeah, do you have a need? Because I've got stuff. Here, you should take some of my stuff. And I don't need anything back for that. Let, let's, let's share. Let's share meals. Let's share lives. Let's break bread together. Let's let each other know what's going on really in our lives. Remember last week I talked about getting beyond small talk. It took the Holy Spirit to get these guys in the book of Acts to go beyond small talk. Right? How you doing? Good. Good. Awesome. Great. See you later. And the Holy Spirit comes and like, hey, tell me what's really going on in your life. Talk to me about what's happening because I care about you and I want to be able to help if I can. And I know you care about me and I want you to be able to help me if you can. So let's actually stop the small talk and get into something substantive, moved by the Holy Spirit. Fellowship is a depth of relationship and a sharing of lives that comes about only by a move of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of people. And it results in, as he's talking about in verse 4, it results in joy. Joy. Joy is different than happiness. We were talking in the, in the uh, Team One huddle just a little while ago, and there was joy in that room. Because we start out talking about wins, and we had people just sharing what God was doing in their lives, what was happening. We have people also, as we, as we break, you know, we're talking with one another about, about prayer needs that we have and, and just sharing the intimacy of walking with Christ together. But there's joy in that. It doesn't mean that everybody's life in that room is going perfectly well. It doesn't mean that there's an absence of hardship. It doesn't mean that there's an absence of challenge but there's joy because joy is a sense of hope and peace that's based on God. Happiness is a sense of optimism and cheerfulness that's based on your circumstances. One is better. One of those is better. So what John is saying to us is that when we are in fellowship with one another, it results in joy. We stir one another up. We help one another while we're in need. We confess things to one another. We build each other up and, and we kindle that sense of hope and peace that's not based on what so-and-so did or said. It's based on our shared love and our shared connection with the Father. And that's a hope and peace that never goes away. Now, if we base it on circumstance, it goes away as soon as the circumstance changes. Right? And that's happiness. I don't mind being happy. I'd rather be joyful. So fellowship with each other and with God is the goal, which brings us to verses 5 through 10. Restoring relationship. He's been talking about how good it is to lift up Jesus together, to acknowledge these principles of the faith with one another so that we can all walk together. And that's wonderful. But sometimes we do that because it's right here in front of us. And we put off to the side the most important relationship was the, the one that we have with the Father, the one that we have with God. And so he's talking here in verses 5 through 10 about restoring our relationship with God. And it's all, as we go through it, you'll see it's all related to confession, forgiveness, and obedience. Remember way back when, when we were using that equation? Love 
plus obedience equals worship. We show God that we love him by obeying his word, right? Uh, and so before we get into verses 5 through 10, though, I want to take a look at another passage from the Gospel of John. This is John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we see John having to remind the first century Christians of this principle again in verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Um, anybody, uh, anybody a programmer in here? It's okay. You can lift your hands up. It's fine. There's no <laughs> condemnation. Yeah. Uh, I love that as soon, as soon as I'm reading verses 5 through 10, I'm brought back to the very, very, very basic programming classes that I ever took, and it's all about the if-then statements. It's all about the conditional statements, and John gives us like three very important if statements here. He sets up the conditions, and it's helpful for me because I think, okay, wait, am I doing this right? John makes it really clear. He makes it really, if you're doing this, then that means this. It's, it's, it's really, really clear for us. So in verse 6, he, he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, then we're lying. We're not living out the truth. He's trying to remind us it's what we do. It's not what we say we do that makes the difference, right? If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, then we lie which kind of stings if you know that that's you in some area of your life, right? Uh, but it's what we do. It's not what we say we do that reveals what we believe. He's pointing out to believers, that's us, that there's a very definite connection between our actions and our true beliefs. I like that he gives us a counterpoint here in verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all of our sin. When he talk about walking in the light, what he's saying here is acting in obedience to his word. When we act in obedience to God's word, it restores all of our relationships. It brings him into the light, brings everything out in the open. Uh, we're honest before God, we're honest before one another, and everything is out in the light. Too many times I think we get embarrassed about things, we get fearful of things, and we push them into the darkness because we don't want people to see them. What John is telling us is that if we have fellowship, if we truly care about one another, and if we're truly connected to God, then all that stuff can be brought out into the light, and it's going to be okay. It's actually going to be better than keeping things hidden away. If statement number two is verse eight, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. I think about John 8 when the Pharisees were talking to him uh, uh, about... Uh, about the woman who was committing adultery. And they brought her in and said, hey, so we think we should stone her. What do you think about that? 
You good with that? Because we're ready. And Jesus says to them, let any one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. And they got very quiet, right? We all have sin in our lives. We all have ways that we have fallen short of what God has asked us to do. And if we claim to be without sin, we're actually trying, we're fooling ourselves. None of us is immune. None of us is, is exempt. None of us has completely overcome it. We all have sin in our lives, and that sin creates blocks in our relationship with God and others. But John points to the miracle that Jesus has done for us in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is what defines us as God's people. And when we embrace forgiveness and repentance and confession, it creates fellowship. Quick thing about confession. The word confess literally means to say the same thing. When we come to God and confess our sins, what we're saying is, okay, everything that you say about what I've been doing, I'm going to say the same thing about what I've been doing. It's, it's that simple. We know what God has said about our sins. When we confess, we're just saying the same thing. We're just bringing it out into the light, agreeing with him. But sometimes we try to say other things instead. We try to make kind of excuses or we try to mollify it a little bit. We try to spin it. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm only human. I'm only human, you know. <laughs> I'm not perfect. <sighs> yeah, that's a shocker, right? <laughs> Everyone is so shocked by that revelation. I'm not perfect. Um, um, I, I make mistakes. That's like, that's like the whole mistakes were made kind of thing. That's like, I don't, I don't want to take responsibility for this, but I do acknowledge that a mistake was made, and I might have been close by <laughs> when it happened. These are phrases that we use to defend ourselves more than to agree with God about what we did, right? We say, oh, man, I really met, man, I'm, I'm human though. Like, yeah, he knows, he made you. He's quite aware that we're human. What he's wanting us to do is agree with him and take ownership. See, the forgiveness and confession is actually a transferring of a burden, it's something that you've been carrying, and Jesus said, you don't have to carry that anymore. But what happens so often is we've refused to carry it in the first place, and we can't give something over to God that we never carried. We need to take ownership. We need to take ownership and say the same thing about our sin that God is saying about it, because then we can transfer it over to Jesus and he can say, I'll carry for you that thing that you have been carrying. That is not your burden anymore. You know? And then, we'll, then we can be free. Then we can be in fellowship. Grace and mercy, and I'm about, to, I'm about to tell you a scriptural truth. Grace and mercy come to those who confess their sins to the Lord. If we're unwilling to take that responsibility and confess to the Lord, then we shouldn't be surprised when we're not experiencing the grace and mercy that we think we're due. Grace and mercy come with confession. It's a part of forgiveness. You stop carrying it, and then you give it to God to carry. If statement number three, um, if we claim we have not sinned, then we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. 
we see our own lives and we know the things that we've done. We know the thoughts we've had. We know the things we'd rather keep in the dark or the things we'd rather let go of. And God knows all of them too. We know when there's a difference between what we've said about what, what's going on in our lives and what God has said. We know when that discrepancy exists. So why do we try to hold on to it so desperately? Why do we try so hard not to admit things? We're going to look at first, uh, John 3, verses 19 through 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly. And what they've done has been done in the sight of God. We don't come into the light because of fear. We're afraid that it's going to hurt. We're afraid that people are going to find out stuff. We're afraid that we're going to disappoint God. We're afraid that we're going to disappoint other people. We're, gonna, we're afraid of judgment, afraid of embarrassment, afraid of exposure. We're afraid of a lot of things. But we need to remember, he told us, my perfect love casts out all fear. So that's not fear God is putting on us. So Jesus is talking to us about how good the gospel is, how good letting go of our fear is, how good confessing to him is, just agreeing with him about our lives and the state that we're in and where he wants us to go. How good receiving his forgiveness is, how good stepping into the light is. And when we do that, we find freedom from the darkness that John is talking about. We find freedom from isolation and we can step into fellowship with others who are following God the same way. We can be on the same page, all together, following God as one, which leads to joy. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you won't sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The point of this message today, the point of chapter 1 of 1 John is that Jesus is at the center of all relationships. He's at the center of our most important relationship, which is our relationship with the Father. And he wants that to be made right, which is why he died, which is why he rose again, which is why he took all of the burden of sin upon himself and still continues to do so, because he wants for us to be one with the Father. That possibility exists for us every single moment of our lives. We can be one with the Father because of Jesus. And he came to restore our relationship also with one another. Getting us beyond spiritual small talk and getting us really to walk together, to trust one another, to be there for one another, knowing that we all serve the same God. We all declare the same thing. We all have the same foundation that we stand on so we can all join together and exalt the Lord together and share our burdens and share our griefs together. None of us, John's been talking about darkness and light. None of us have to stumble around in darkness. None of us has to stumble around in darkness. Light is literally just one step in front of you. 